I'm entitling the message today, Is There Any Hope? I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read to you from verses 3 through 9. And I want you to listen attentively to this passage of Scripture. I want you to hear it in its entirety. So don't stop to go back over a sentence. Do that later. But stay with us through the entire reading of this passage. First Peter, first chapter, third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation and to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the satisfaction of your soul. The message is entitled again, very clearly, Is There Any Hope? The song says, the hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All the other ground is sinking sand. Is there any hope? Let me tell you where I get this title from its source. In World War II, an American submarine was torpedoed by a Nazi U-boat off the coast of England. A distress signal was sent out by the sinking ship. And when the rescue ship arrived, divers were deployed to look for the sunken ship. They tapped on the outside of the sinking ship and heard from the inside the ship a tapping of the message in Morse code, is there any hope left. What an emotional moment. I want you to look with me today as we get ready for Easter. We have our anticipations of Easter. We have our reminders of past Easters. We're believing that this week in will be an exciting one for everyone. But I want to call your attention to some facts today. As we talk about, is there any hope left? There's little evidence, little evidence that there's any spiritual revival going on in our world today. I would like for you to show me something that would encourage me 
to say, you know, we're on the verge of revival. Look what is happening. These good things, what's happening in our homes, in our businesses, in our nation. Look what's happening in our culture. Oh, we have a lot to look forward to. But where do you find that evidence? Our churches are struggling. 900 Baptist churches closed their doors last year. All the records that I read, and I wish you'd show me some others, attendance is falling off. Offerings are coming down. Not many are going into ministry any longer. And the mission field that waits for people to come, you wonder, who is going to come? And who is sending them out? When you look at the offerings of churches, even though we see economy goes up and all this kind of stuff, and there's all those statistics out there, but as I read, I see baptisms going down, offerings going down, the young people being called into the ministry going way down, evangelism in a lot of churches is not the priority, and in some churches, it's not even mentioned because it's a turnoff to the culture. My question to you today is, as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday, is there any hope left? It seems to me to be a desperate cry from all around the world as the cultures of the entire world are changing. And we're seeing those prophecies fulfilled that are prophesied in the Bible in detail. And yet we keep on doing the same old thing. We keep on looking forward to another thrill, another gig, another exciting event. Something that will lift me up, make me laugh, make me have a purpose in life. And so as we look forward to the one Sunday we all look forward to in Christendom, we need to have a sobering week of getting prepared, accepting reality and praying for revival Amen. to come in our land and our world. I would submit to you that Satan has torpedoed our ship. I would submit to you that the absolute facts, wherever you read them are, that we are under persecution, attack from everything you can imagine. Even our very homes, even the parents of our young people, that have agreed to let their young people go and do whatever they want to, whenever they want to do it, with whoever, because they've got to grow up. That's poor judgment. That's anti-Bible. The Bible says, Mama, you and Daddy, you train up a child in the way it should go. And when it's old, it won't depart from it. But when you turn them loose and let them be one of the bunch, no discipline, no correction, no example. What do you think is going to happen? I think what's going to happen is what the Bible says is going to happen. You know what? Jesus' second coming may come before Resurrection Sunday. And for some, you say, well, I'll be here anyway. 
Well, you'll still have a big crowd. But the dead in Christ will rise first. And those that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So I just want you to think with me this morning. This message is a little bit different. But I want you to be thinking with me. The older you get, the more you realize that every day is special. You realize that none of us know what another day is going to bring. We now say, now I see things that I could not imagine 25 years ago would ever happen in America. But they're happening every single day. So as I have entitled the message, Is There Any Hope? I want you to think, and there will only be four points this morning. Is there any hope for you, for me? That's the one thing. For our homes, for our businesses, for your job, for your investments, and most important, for your very soul. Is there any hope? To lighten it up a little bit, I remember a story probably 40 years ago I heard of the farmer that was taking a load of chickens to... uh, the plant and where they would become fried chicken. And uh, he was in a little old pickup truck trying to climb a hill and every cage was full of live chickens. And there was a guy following behind him and he would go just a little ways up the road. He'd stop, get out, walk around the truck and beat on the truck with a stick. And the chickens would just go crazy. Well, the man behind the truck was going even more crazy. And about the third time, he gets out of the truck when, when the driver of the truck carrying the chickens got out. He said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm trying to get up this hill with all these chickens. But he said, there's more chickens in this truck than this truck can carry. And the only way that I can get up this hill is keep half of them flying. <laughs> now, when you go home and think about that as long as I have... That, to me, sounds like a lot of churches. We're just beating on the cage, hoping to keep some of them flying. The question is, is there any hope? And you know what the Bible says? There is. There is hope. There is genuine hope. Verse 3 that I read to you a moment ago, uses those words, the lively hope. It's an exciting hope. It is that hope that Jesus is coming back. It is that hope that in the last days, though perilous times will come and men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, that there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit that will come down and error will be replaced with truth. And that lively hope, though, that is referred to in the passage is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where the hope comes from. Our lively hope is in the fact that Jesus was crucified on Friday, but he is alive today. He is living. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I want to give you four examples. I hope at least one of these will apply to your life this morning. Number one, for those of us who grieve in death, there is hope. 
Glance at your bulletin today if you're in this auditorium and see the deaths last week. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. I was at three funerals this past week. I, I, I want you to know, as we grieve in death, that's not the end. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise. And we'll go to meet the Lord in the air, the resurrected Lord. We will go to meet the Lord in the air. Listen to John in the 20th chapter, verses 11 through 14. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels in white sitting, the one on, at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. And they say unto her, Woman, why weep you? She said unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. He is risen. The dead in Christ are going to rise. The next time you're around death, there is an eternity beyond the grave. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we have the hope in us that that same Jesus is going to come back to this earth again. And he is going to take those of us, the Bible says, that are alive and remain. Well, let me go back. He said, first of all, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us which are alive and remain shall be called up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There is no reason to grieve if you know Jesus Christ. You're going to be alive when he comes or you're going to rise from the grave when he comes. It's clear in the Bible. There is hope in death. Death is not the end. Every funeral I do, I tell myself, remind myself, and tell all of those that there, don't you go away from here and say we lost whoever. You haven't lost anything when you know where it is. And a believer is absent from the body and they're present with the Lord and there is hope in that. Jesus is coming back again. And the time comes when we need, yes, there's a time to weep and there's a time to rejoice. It's wonderful to weep over past memories, but it's even better to weep with joy over the fact, absent from the body, present with the Lord. There is hope. Mary was the last one, if you remember, to the cross. Mary Magdalene. She's the first person to the open tomb. She loved Jesus so much. Um, maybe you've lost someone recently. Many of us have. But listen to me. When you read the Bible carefully, there's a lot of interesting things about Mary Magdalene. Some think she was a woman caught in adultery. Mark tells us she was one from whom seven devils were cast out. But she gave him hope. God gave her hope. God gives us hope. It matters not what is going on. Dr. George W. Truitt, I never met him. I met his predecessor, Dr. R.G. Lee, at the First Baptist Church in, in uh, Dallas, Texas. But Dr. Truitt told one of the 
saddest stories that I remember as a young man. And it was simply about a little six-year-old girl who passed away at the age of six. The pastor was standing by the casket, which was customary in the old days. Often, if not most of the time, that was the setting. A father came by. He was a lost man. He was the father of the child. The pastor heard him say to the body of his six-year-old, Goodbye forever, my darling. A few moments later, a saved mother came to the same casket, looked at the same body of her daughter, and simply said, Good night, my darling. I'll see you in the morning. There's hope in death. There's hope in death. That's the difference Jesus makes. He's the one that brings death to life. He's the one that brings darkness to light. He's the one that dries tears from our eyes and reminds us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Number two, there is hope for all of those that worry and dismay. I'm talking to a lot of people right now, and you're a worrier. Now, if you don't know it, your friends will tell you. You might want to ask them, am I one of those he is talking about? Be ready for the answer. But it's okay, because there's hope for those in dismay, the worriers. Well, I'm just wondering. I just don't know. I just can't accept this and whatever. Let me, let me read to you. John chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weep you? Whom seek you? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned to herself, said, Master. And Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. John tells us in John 20, 19, that the disciples were behind closed doors when Jesus appeared to them. They were shocked. Closest followers. And what he said would happen has happened. All of these characters, all of these stories that we'll be reading during the Easter season as you pick up your Bible and go back to those days and all, all of these stories are going to point to us the truths that we need to learn. And certainly, we need to know that while we are in dismay, while we're discouraged, while we're weeping and mourning, and that's all a natural human thing, but there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. There are many people today that claim to be Christians, but they're hiding from Jesus. And there's nothing more obvious than that than Sunday morning. We're two or more gathered together. I'll be in their midst. Jesus is here. Well, I don't know. I called Charlie and he said he wasn't going to be there today, so I think I won't come. You don't worry about whether Charlie's here or not. You want to know whether Jesus is going to be here or not. 
Now, if he's here, you ought to want to be here. And nothing should be more important than knowing that you are going to be where he is. Many of our Christian people that say they know the Lord cannot deal with a lifestyle that reminds them every day that he's alive. He lives, he lives, he lives. Jesus is alive. Accept that, folks. He knows. I've, I've been around so many conversations in my lifetime when somebody missed church on Sunday, you see them on Wednesday. Well, I was backslid Sunday. <laughs> I was backslid. I just kind of, you know, I was tired. We had a rough week. I just thought I'd stay home and relax, you know. Of course, now, since we're on television, it's, and watch you on television for two minutes. Listen, Jesus wants to get that worry off of you. He is alive when you're totally distraught. You just cannot handle anything. You're, you're grumpy. You're impulsive. Listen, Jesus is alive. They don't make a makeup that'll cover the faces of some Christians that need to change the way they look. There is no makeup available for that. But there is a person that is available. And that person wants others to see him in you. He wants you to represent him, not you. And if you will let him, Jesus is willing to take you with or without the makeup and make you what he wants you to be. No exceptions. He's not looking for the highly intelligent, the, the gifted, the athlete, the brilliant mind. He's looking for one that he created to come back to him and follow him all the days of their life. Jesus will take you as you are, but you've got to repent if you're going the wrong way and come to him. Number three, there's hope for those that wander in doubt. Doubting Thomas. I won't believe until I see him. You remember the encounter? The hands, the side. My Lord and my God, he said. Many of you are doubting. Many of you have trouble with that. You just can't understand it. And, and I've had that told me so many times. But preacher, I just don't understand why. Only thing I can tell you is God says my ways are higher than your ways. My ways are higher than the preacher's ways. Preacher doesn't know. Priest doesn't know. Father doesn't know. The rabbi doesn't know. But Jesus knows. And if we can come to that moment, do we just, you know, I'm beginning to doubt my salvation. I'm beginning to doubt that I'm married to the right person. I'm beginning to doubt if I'm working for the right company. I'm, I'm beginning to doubt everything. It's time to come to Jesus. Lay it on the line. Lay it out there. And say, you know what? There is hope. Jesus is alive. 
Thomas wished he'd have been there, I'm sure, when Jesus showed up the first time with the disciples, but he wasn't. He couldn't undo the past, and you can't undo the past, and I can't undo the past, but what we can do, we can be, say today is the first day of the rest of my life. And today, I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus. It's sad when you're not there on the gathering day. Don't you wish everybody at Sagemont could have seen this a baptismal service today? Don't, don't you wish that everybody could have seen those that have taken place in our different services in the last five weeks? The miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle where those without hope found a solid rock on which to anchor their life. And old things passed away and all things became new. And it wasn't because they came to church. It's because they met Jesus. And many of them met Jesus at the church, in the Bible study class, in the hallway, in the music time, in the preaching time, in the studying time, in the greeting time, wherever it might be. That's the truth that we can hold on today. Where Thomas said, except I see him, I can't believe. Disciples try to talk him out of it. I cannot talk you out of whatever you want to believe. But I can rest with assurance to know if you ever meet Jesus Christ personally and privately and confidentially and give your life to him, you will never be the same again. You will not face things like most people will face things. The trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the way that God leads us. Thomas, the Baptist would say, well, he was backslidden. Well, he had his problems. I've had mine, and you've had yours. I hope that all of us today will go away from here and realize you matter to God. That's one of the core values of Sage My Church. Everybody matters. Amen. And God will not be content until everyone has a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's called missions. Amen. I do want you to look at your bulletin today and read the letter that came to me this week. It was, it was sent to me, but it was about you. Read it. It's in the bulletin you hold. Don't read it right now. I'm almost through. <laughs> but thank God for the mission heart of this church and see what went away from this church and how it ranked with the churches of the state in which we live. All of us as a church family are continually trying to discover who we are, what's the purpose of Sage My Church, what is our priorities. Right now, our children have always been on our minds and our young people, but our children and our students and their future is a passion with us right now. And that's what all this envision is about. And as you fill out those cards and as you tell us about who you are, we want to minister to you in every way we can. But you know what? Thomas had trouble dealing with the fact that God still loved him. And you know what? Some of you have that same trouble. You said, I've rededicated my life 16 times when I was 17 years old. God's got a sense of humor. God knows that a lot of people want to please their mother and their daddy. Didn't care about Jesus as long as mother and daddy leave them alone. They'd do anything 
But you know, when you meet Jesus, those things pass away. And Jesus wants your life just like it is. He'll make it brand new. He won't recondition you. You die to the old life of sin and you're raised to walk in newness of life. You say, I don't want to drive a used car and I don't want to live in a used body. But when you get saved, you become a brand new creature with an eternal lifetime warranty at no cost. And there's no little letters down at the bottom of the ad that says everything I just said is a lie. You see that on television. But as we enjoy this morning of worship, I gave you the fourth point. There's hope for those who walk in denial. Peter's my man. You remember him? Oh, never, not me, not me. Man, I was raised in a preacher's home. My dad was a deacon. I was this, 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 this. You remember him? Arrogant? Good gracious. I'd hate to play golf with him, fish with him, go out to eat with him or anything. But he liked to brag. You know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to ever... I'm not going to ever do it. <laughs> he did it three times. I mean, the Bible passage in, in Matthew 26, he didn't die once, three times, three times, three times. That's how stubborn he was. But the Lord forgave him. That's how gracious and awesome he is. He came to forgive sin. He came to take our place. He came to use us to bring our life into what he wants us to do. And maybe some of us will live long enough and not have to live that much longer to see Jesus come back to this earth again. But all of us must be honest with number one, ourself. Maybe you've had a problem with your marriage vows with the company you work for, with the promise you made to a child. Maybe you volunteered to do something and you didn't do it. Those things cause all kinds of grief thoughts to come to our mind. In Mark chapter 16, verse 6, I thought it real interesting when Jesus rose from the grave. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> Go tell the disciples and Peter. I guess Peter needed to hear it twice. I don't know. If he's been there with the disciples, they got it the first time. But just get him aside and said, Peter, did you hear what happened at the meeting? God wants to make sure, Peter, you know, you know that Jesus is risen as he said. He messed up so bad. Peter didn't think he was a disciple anymore. Some of you feel that way. You feel like I couldn't come back to the Lord. I've messed up so many times in my life. I've been down that altar. I've wore my knees out. And you feel just like that man felt. But can you go just one more step if you want to be like Peter and finish it? God loves you and will do the same for you that he did for Simon Peter. Amen. He Peter walked on water. 
When the others laid back, heard the story, let's move on. He goes to where Jesus is. And he goes to him. Walking on the water. The Lord is saying to us today, I know you fail, but I love you unconditionally. Oh, I need that kind of thinking. I need that kind of truth. I can hear Jesus saying, I've been to the cross. I've been to the tomb. I've risen from the grave. And I'm coming to get you. I just want to be ready. And I want you to be ready. I want you to know he'll take you just like you are if you're willing to turn around. And that means repent and walk with him. He's ready to pick you up. There's hope for those that weep in death, for those that worry and dismay, those that wonder and doubt, and those that walk in denial. It's the risen Lord Jesus.